0: Good morning. It's a good thing to be gathered together on the Lord's Day. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. I hope you were. Please turn to the book of Acts, chapter 22. You're right in the middle of a long section related to Paul's, I don't know what you'd call it, imprisonment, capture, persecution. Um, We'll be in verses 22 today and Acts twenty two twenty two, but last time what we talked about is Paul had finally made it into Jerusalem to give the offerings that he had collected. If you remember from his third missionary journey, if you remember, he brought people with him from those various places so that the funds that he had collected would there'd be no question as to whether or not he had um, siphoned off some of the money as another infamous treasurer and so-called disciple of Jesus did in the past and also for safety and they arrived in Jerusalem in time for Pentecost and the church was glad to see him if you remember they warned he they warned him that the Jewish people around town had heard bad things about him and related to the law and that The things that he had told Gentiles that, listen, Gentiles, there's no need to be circumcised anymore. There's no need for you to go through these various rituals that the Jews do. For you, stay away from sexual immorality, from things strangled, from blood. That's enough. Don't bow down to idols. And... There were accusations that Paul was telling all Jews that they need to stop acting or stop living as cultural Jews and he had done no such thing. So they remember they said, "Here's what you should do, Paul. Make sure everybody sees you when they do it, when you do it. Go to the temple. Purify yourself. Take others with you. Make sure Verse 26 of the previous chapter, Paul took men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So he took their advice. Good idea. I'm not against the temple at all. I'd be glad to go and make a purification there. But what happened is, when he went there, Jews from Asia, listen, these are the same Jews that followed him from city to city on his first and second missionary journeys. He would go to the synagogues in those places, preach the gospel. They would eventually reject him. He would turn to the Gentiles. The Gentiles would believe, quote, "...and as many as were appointed unto eternal life believed." And the Jews would be jealous and envious and angry and follow him to the next town and make accusations and threaten him, beat him physically, stone him, leaving him outside the city, supposing he was, quote, dead. How poor does your condition have to be if people think you are dead? Very poor. That's how poor your condition must be. And Paul, if you remember, had been warned by the Spirit several times, do not go to Jerusalem, excuse me, not that, that persecutions and trial await you in Jerusalem. The Spirit did not tell him, don't go. But that things were going to happen when he got there. Trials. And Jesus also was warned on his way to Jerusalem, was he not? Did Jesus not say, they will crucify me? And people would say, don't go. And he said, no, I'm not saying that I shouldn't go. I'm just telling you what's going to happen. Jews from Asia stir up the crowd. And Paul gave his testimony of being a very devout Jew and a persecutor of Jesus and the believers in him in the past. Do you remember that? He recounted how when he was called Saul, in, in, with a clear conscience, he thought he should round up the Christians and have them killed or imprisoned for breaking the law of God. And then last time the beginning of verse 22 or excuse me chapter 22 we read about Paul's conversion experience again. Luke repeats this many times in the book of Acts, Paul's conversion experience. And the reason why is because Paul is constantly in the presence of new people who don't know his conversion experience and who are accusing him of evil things. And he's saying, yeah, yeah, I got you. I used to be against Christ, too. But then this happened to me and he has to change when it happened to him. But, you know, we'll get to that. Please stand while we read the word of God. We'll begin in Acts twenty two twenty two and we'll read until chapter twenty three verse eleven. Let's 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 read verse twenty one. And he said to me, that is God said to Paul, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this point they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall." Now, when Paul perceived one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Amen. You may be seated. This is a very interesting section. So, if you remember, the reason why they are so stirred up is because they assumed that he had brought in a certain man who came with him from Asia into the temple, which he did not do. But they assumed that he did. Well, in verse 21 of chapter 22, he says that God told him that he was going to send him to the Gentiles. So they got stirred up in the first place because he was associating with Gentiles and they thought he had brought him into the temple. And now he's saying, God is the one who told me to do that, to associate with Gentiles, to preach the gospel to them. Verse 22, up to this point, they listened to him. But now they're fired up. You're going to bring the Gentiles up again? And this time you're going to say that God told you to do it? They became even angrier. And the the Bible's testimony is they made a real show of it, right? Away with such a one. He shouldn't be allowed to live. 23, they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. Can you picture this scene? They're super mad. They're throwing off their clothes. They're throwing dirt up into the air. They're making a real show of how angry. And The Tribune decides to get to the bottom of it. We talked about this recently. Brother Cook last time talked to us about the practice of flogging and scourging. Very, very painful. This is to put it mildly. They said he should be examined. He should be examined. What is the real story of what's going on here? This is a complete mess. Let's examine him. Okay, well, what's the process look like? Like there's going to be two or three people asking him what happened. How's that going to work? No, not really like that. Verse 24, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks saying he should be examined by flogging to find out why they're shouting against him like this. Listen, to examine him in such a way is almost to kill him. from what Brother Cook told us last week and what we know about this people who were flogged before crucifixion almost were barely alive anyway after the flogging and a tremendous loss of blood let's examine him by flogging this is what they said basically let's torture him until he tells us what we want to know this is a mess right now The Jews are in an uproar. Let's torture him. We'll find out the real reason. But listen, Paul knows that what they're doing is not lawful for Romans to do to fellow Roman citizens. What they're accusing him of, he's innocent of, right? But he's also very shrewd. You know, if we took a trip somewhere and we got arrested for no reason, I promise you we would say, we're American citizens. And we would hope that that would have some pull. We don't know if it would or not. It depends on what country you're in. But we would hope it would help. Well, Paul believed that it would help. One commentator said, the Tribune did this examination, or at least planned to do it, that he might know wherefore they cried so against him. For though he had rescued him out of their hands, when they would in all likelihood have beat him to death, and though he took him within the castle to secure him from their violence, yet he concluded he must be a bad man and must have done something criminal, and therefore he takes this method to extort from him a confession of his crime, for which the people exclaimed against him with so much virulence. Well, this is interesting. Paul says, are you really about to beat me? Do you know that I'm a Roman citizen? Not all, this is interesting as it relates to Tarsus. Not all cities are free cities in the Roman Empire at that time. Not all cities were given citizenship status either. Apparently, Tarsus, which is a free city, had been given its freedom by one Marcus Antonius, which we call Mark Antony. If you remember, Mark Antony, born January 14th, 83 BC, commonly known as Mark Antony, was a Roman politician and general who played a critical role in the transformation of of the Roman Republic from a constitutional republic into the autocratic Roman Empire. Also a relative and supporter of Julius Caesar and served as a general in the conquest of, conquest of Gaul. So Tarsus has special status because for some reason Mark Antony liked it or somebody there did something for him. They have special status. Paul is a a Roman citizen by birth. Very noble. There there was a way as we, we heard this tribune say, you're a citizen? I paid a lot of money to get my citizenship. And Paul says, not me. We have special status. I was a citizen when I was born. So, upon hearing that he is a Roman, the flogging is called off. Okay, don't do it. Um, from what I read, Dr. Gill had an interesting passage about that if they if they would have flogged him, being a Roman citizen with no trial, the charges against them would be more serious than the flogging that he had already received. Very serious charges. It's almost like the flogging, that's for non Romans, not for Romans. Don't do that to a Roman. Uh, so, Paul is a Jew, but he's also a Roman citizen and very aware of the laws of the Romans. He says in verse 1 of chapter 23 I've lived my life before God, and all good conscience up to this day. This is kind of hard to believe. You're like, really? In good conscience? You stood by and watched Stephen be stoned to death? But I think he's saying, at the time, I had a clear conscience about it. He was wrong. You know, Paul was saying, I thought these Christians were wrong. I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest did not like his boldness, apparently, and orders him to be punched. Punch him in the face. And Paul responds like, are you really going to try to take the speck out of my eye while you have a log in your own eye? Are you going to hit me because I did something wrong when you are doing something wrong by hitting me? The law doesn't permit a judgment against a man without hearing out him out first. Remember this was Nicodemus's rebuttal to those who were attempting to judge Jesus without hearing him out. He says, "Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does?" Nicodemus said that very rightly. And they respond, "What? Are you a believer too? What's going on here? He's guilty." But Nicodemus is trying to say, Y'all know this is the way the law works. We have to hear it first. The fool goes on quickly. And so Paul tells him he's a you know Are you gonna judge me and yet according to the law? As breaking the law, and yet you, contrary to the law, just ordered me to be punched without hearing me first. And he doesn't speak kindly of the high priest without knowing. So there's some discussion as why why wouldn't Paul know that this is the high priest? Potentially, he's been gone for a while, right? He's been gone for many years. Um, also, potentially, you know. The order was given by the high priest and someone else went and punched him and he didn't know who it was exactly that had ordered it. Either way, Paul says, oh, sorry, I didn't know. I wouldn't have said that if I would have known. Because that would be breaking the law. Okay, verse 6. Paul is shrewd. He's innocent. He says, I've had a clear conscience before God, but he's also shrewd. He divides the crowd. There's a riot against him. He divides the crowd on purpose. Why would he divide the crowd on purpose? I mean, Jesus said a house divided against itself can't stand. If Paul wants to defeat them, divide them. Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, and he cried out, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. It's true, kind of, right? Really, he's on trial for associating with Gentiles, mostly. But he did definitely testify repeatedly that Jesus was alive, and he was the promised Messiah, and they should repent and believe him. Now, you, you know this, but Maybe you've forgotten. The Pharisees, they did believe in a bodily resurrection of the just and the unjust. And also believed in angels and spirits. And the Sadducees rejected that. And so when Paul says, Do you all know why I'm here? I'm here because I testify to the the reality of the resurrection. Verse 7, when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Remember, it was the Sadducees who asked Jesus. They present this, what they think is an impossible scenario, designed to make the resurrection seem ridiculous. And they say, let's suppose that there are seven brothers, and one of them has a wife, and he dies, and they don't have any children. Well, the law says the brother, second brother should marry her. Well, he dies too in no, with no children. And this happens again and again and again, seven times. In the resurrection, whose wife is she? For they've all had her as a wife. And they're trying to say, the resurrection? That's ridiculous. But Jesus answers them easily and he says, y'all don't know what you're talking about. Marriage doesn't go on like this in heaven. But it was the Sadducees who brought that up to him, being not believers of the resurrection in general. Verse 9, a great clamor arose. A clamor A loud and confused noise, especially that of people shouting vehemently. A loud, a great clamor arose. Can you picture it? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they've thrown off their coats, they're throwing dust into the air. Now they're arguing and yelling at each other back and forth about the reality of the resurrection. Paul has divided the crowd and found some sympathy among the crowd, being shrewd. Verse 9, Then a great clamor rose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? Right? This was also one of Jesus' defenders. They say, let's leave this man alone. If God really is working in him, then we won't be able to stop him. And if, he, if God's not with him, it will amount to nothing, it'll disappear. The Pharisees say, what if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? Which is funny because they, they weren't Jesus' followers. But this is a point on principle. He's a believer in the resurrection like we are. We're on the same side here. And he finds some sympathy. When the dissension became violent, Luke has testified about this many times in our study so far in Acts. To our visitors, welcome. Good to have you. Uh, We've been going through Acts for a long time. So we're in um, this section today, but... Luke has brought up again and again that when, when the Jews can't win their discussion, they resort to violence. They have debates with the disciples over and over. They're talking it out in the temple, and then they can't win the argument, and they seize the disciples and either abuse them or try to kill them, plot against them. Here a great clamor breaks out among the Pharisees and Sadducees, and when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. So the tribune, he's afraid that a Roman citizen will be killed by the Jews in this clamor on his watch and that would bring wrath from his bosses but like he was under your custody what happened so Pauls removed from the crowd and and he is he's placed into protective custody in verse 11 he's promised again and encouraged by God to be brave right verse verse 11 The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So God's promising him, you're not going to die here. Take courage. Don't be afraid. And you remember he told him this before in Acts chapter 18. The Lord said to him one night in a vision, this is verse 10, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So, and here in in our text today, he promises him again, he tells him the future, you're testifying right now, which is great. And you're going to testify in Rome as well. I have additional plans for you. Don't be afraid. And if you remember, this is what God told uh, right after Paul is blinded. He goes to a certain man and tells that man, you need to go help Paul regain his sight. And part of what God tells him is, I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name, but he will bring the gospel to my people and to kings and to the Gentiles. And all these things that God spoke at that time are coming to pass. God has a plan, in this case, to have his chief missionary to the Gentiles to take the gospel message to the heart of the Roman Empire to testify of the grace of God, which is found in Christ Jesus. and Paul has said this, he wanted to go to Rome. This is interesting. Paul believes in God's electing grace. Does he not? The reason why we believe it is because Paul taught us about it in his letters. He believes in the regenerating work of the Spirit and the necessity of men and women to be taught of the Spirit before they understand the Spirit language, right? The natural man doesn't understand things of the Spirit. They're spiritually discerned. You remember this discussion in Romans? He says, people without the Spirit, when you talk about spiritual things, it's like you're speaking in a different language that they don't understand. They've got to be spiritual before they understand these spiritual discussions. Paul believes in the regenerating work of the Spirit. But if you look at the pattern of his life, he's not sitting around. His belief in God's electing grace, his belief in the The necessity of being born again does not cause him to be inactive. There are some who, because they make conclusions, they say, Well, if God's doing it, how can he blame us who resist his will? But Paul's working hard. He continues to preach and teach and testify before all sorts of men, dangers all the time. Why would he do that if he knows God has chosen them before the foundation of the earth and that the Holy Spirit is going to call them? What's the urgency, brother? God's doing it. But Paul believes in two biblical truths, which you should believe also. One, God's free and sovereign grace. It is a biblical concept repeated again and again and again. And also, man's responsibility to obey the gospel is also a biblical idea repeated again and again in the Scriptures. Paul believes these two biblical principles are friends in the plan of God. They asked Spurgeon this. How can you reconcile the difference in God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? And Spurgeon said, you don't reconcile friends. There's no disagreement between them. They're not mad at each other. Would you be bold to believe all that the scriptures teach? Would you, would you say, Lord, I don't understand it, but I believe. And the unbelief that's still in me, help me, Lord. And all of us are in a state of imperfection in our faith, aren't we? Are you as high as David? I mean, definitely you know more than he knew. But David was a man after God's own heart and he was not perfect for sure. Would you be bold to believe all that the word teaches? That God would even purpose that his people sometimes would endure trials and tribulations and suffering harm to their physical body? and that God would use that for His own purpose and for His own glory? There are many who love Jesus who would say, that's not God's will. He didn't want that to happen. Evil people caused that to happen. And I'll say, yes, evil people did play a part in it for sure. But bad things happen to God's people, and God purposes that it would come to pass. And the question is, do you believe? Do you trust Him? Are you His child? Children go through a weird process, right? When they're little babies, you tell them something, they believe it instantly. You can't climb up there. You'll fall down and get hurt. You, you're gonna you're gonna break your leg up there. They, they're afraid. They come down. And then as they start to get more independent, they start to question whether or not you really know everything or not. Right? If you have children, you understand. Even if you don't, you've probably seen it, and you've experienced it yourself. You believed your parents. And then you kind of question. Then you become a teenager and you think, "I actually, I think I should be the boss. And our faith can be like that. It can be. It is a biblical concept for God's people to question and to say, God, I don't understand. Why would you do this? It is a biblical concept. God's people do it all throughout the scriptures. But when you're done with your question, you need to submit. He is the king of kings. He's very gracious. Normally, a high, high king like this would have no patience for somebody like us. Why are you even questioning me? I commanded it. It must be done. God's very patient and gracious and kind. He lets us say, ask him all sorts of stuff. Question, he doesn't kill us instantly. But listen, don't grieve the spirit of God with doubt. Ask, cry out, wrestle, but When you're done with that, submit to God's will. Obey the gospel. Repent. There's no hope otherwise. God's favor. Listen, when is the time of God's favor? Now. Do you know how I know? It's because you're still alive. The door is open for you. The door is open for all sinners to repent. As long as they're alive. And when they're dead, we know the time of God's favor for them is over. Would you be bold to believe all that the Word teaches? Would you be brave to take the gospel to all the earth, to all people? And what I mean by that, it's not some obscure place that no one's ever heard of. It might be the cubicle right next to you who you need to take the gospel to. Are you bold? And listen, it's not your message. It's a message from a great high king. And the message is not... One that's bad, but one that's good. And only the very foolish and dark would reject such a message. And unfortunately, that is the case of our hearts. Total hereditary depravity. Right? We're not as bad as we possibly could be, but we're all corrupted. Would you take the gospel to those next to you? Would you tell them that Jesus delights in saving sinners? Isn't that what we're taught in the scriptures? Here is a trustworthy saying worthy of all acceptance. Whatever is said after that you should take very special care of, right? If the Apostles of God say, here's a trustworthy statement. Worthy of full acceptance, Jesus came to save sinners. Not the righteous, not the healthy, the sick. Even as Paul is testifying here, we'll see in the the coming chapters, part of what's in his mind is their salvation, not just defending himself. he He's preaching, and they say, "What are you gonna make me a Christian pretty soon?" and he said, "Well, I don't know if it's soon or long, but I sure hope it happens." Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And let's just read ahead, verse 12. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. We'll talk about that the next time. Let's have a word of prayer, Father. We thank you for your word. we thank you for letting us um, ride along with the apostles in the in the beginning of the church. Father, we thank you for the way that your spirit had gone with them and blessed them. We thank you for um, for being very patient with us and Father, even though we know that Um, trials are part of your plan that you're with us even in those trials. Would you help us? Would you help us to love you and to trust you completely? Father, we know our faith is weak, but we pray that you'd make us people who are full of faith. Please, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.